We pray this in Jesus' name. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. All right, praise the Lord. What a sweet, sweet time of worship. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 17, going to, Lord willing, verse 42. Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 42. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word with you, please put up your hand because we want to put a Bible in your lap. Our ushers are coming forward right now. I see a few hands up in the back row back there. Praise the Lord. Make sure they get a copy of God's Word. Youth, don't forget the youth Uh, questions are there for you at the back table. So grab a copy before the sermon starts. You can be tracking along with that. Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 42. Well, uh, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa, uh, happy sixth anniversary. Come on. Happy sixth anniversary. We are here, indeed, without a doubt, only by God's immeasurable grace. There is absolutely no other way to put that. And as I, as we've been leading up to this, I've been asked the question numerous times of, you know, what, what lessons has God taught you in the last six years of who he is and how he works. I was talking with a church planter this week on Monday afternoon, new to the city, and he says, what would you pass on to future church planters or even other Christians? And there are many lessons, too many to recount here. But one of the biggest ones is this. God cannot be stopped. I'm just going to say it again. God cannot be stopped. When God is in it, when God is for it, your chances are very, very good. No matter what comes against it. And here's the truth we need to understand today, beloved. Hope Ottawa turns six. Hope Ottawa exists today, not because of me. It does not exist today because of the fellowship of churches that we are a part of, the GCC. They are wonderful. That is a wonderful gift from the Lord, but that's not the reason this church exists. It is not because of our efforts collectively, but only, make it clear, but only because God's work can't be stopped and Jesus is faithful to build his church. That's it. That's it. Facilities will change (laughs) by God's grace. We've had four of them in six years. Um, Names will change. We've had two of them. Pandemics and viruses may come and shut down the world and leave us 18 months online. It's pretty difficult and agonizing to try to shepherd a church you can't see. Um, People will come. People will go. 
Opposition will come. But God can't be stopped. All glory to him. So here's the big idea of our text today. Write this down. God cannot be stopped, so witness with confidence. God cannot be stopped, so witness with confidence. What is a witness? One who is willing to give their life to proclaim the person and work of Jesus Christ so that others may live. Hope Ottawa exists for the glory of the Lord so that others may live. And here, I'm so thankful as we look into this text today, I'm so thankful that of all the texts in the Bible, out of all 66 books and all the thousands of passages, God, in his sovereignty, had us on this text today. When this sermon calendar was put together by him almost a year ago, it was this text on this day. Everyone say, God's a planner. God's a planner. He doesn't do random. And so today, by his grace, we will see afresh how awesome our God is and four truths about him that we must believe. And actually, these are four lessons that he's been teaching us over the last six years and even beyond that, seven years, including the core group, that we must believe and increasingly live out in his power by faith If we are to live on mission as faithful, confident witnesses in him and see him build his church for his glory. And I pray this message today will be such fuel for your faith as we move forward into what God has for us individually and as the church in the times and seasons ahead. Fuel for our faith. Lord, build your church for your glory. Amen? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word, and let's read it together. Acts chapter 5. We're going to go verse 17 to the first half of 21. All right? Acts 5, 17 to the first half of 21. Let's go. The apostles arrested and freed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Hear the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. The first thing we see is this, loved ones. First lesson. First lesson is this. God can't be stopped, so witness with confidence in his power, knowing that he'll give it. Witness with confidence in his power, knowing that he'll give it. No matter the odds... God gives what is needed. I'll say it again. No matter the odds against you, no matter the odds against the church, God will give what is needed. But here's the question facing us in light of that truth. Will you and I trust in his power? Will we trust in his power? Let's get our context. Here we are. We're in Jerusalem. It's the first century. And Jesus, as we have seen through this beautiful book, has been building his church against increasing opposition and odds against it. The church has been opposed, but the church has overcome by his grace. And so we've seen thus far two waves of opposition. Number one in Acts 4 was an external opposition coming from the Sanhedrin, which if you remember is the Jewish Supreme Court. 
The disciples are preaching the gospel. They are thrown in prison. They're commanded not to preach the gospel again. And what do the apostles do? They obey God over men and they keep preaching and thousand, God adds thousands of more to the church. So there's the ex- first wave of external opposition. Now comes the second wave of opposition and that is internal opposition. As we saw last week from Acts chapter five, internal opposition through corruption of the heart from sin as Satan is seeking to divide the unity and purity of the church. But, as we saw in Acts 5, when sin is exposed and purged, God displays his power by doing what? Adding more believers than ever to the church. Multitudes, it says. And healing the sick, casting out demons. These are, loved ones, the opposition's coming, but these are exciting days for the gospel. And even today, take it from the first century to the 21st century, these are exciting days for the gospel. Bring out, you believe that, loved ones? These are exciting days. But now, what we see here is not everyone's excited about this. The church building, lives being radically changed, and Satan reloads again against the church. Opposition strikes again, from the Sanhedrin, the second attack now externally against the church. Why? Because the Jewish courts, the religious leaders, they see what's happening. They see that they're losing power. They're losing popularity and control over the people as they turned away from following the Sanhedrin to following Jesus Christ. And here's the thing we got to understand about the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, which is really sad, you see. Oh, come on. I just got to slide that in. Every time, just get used to it, loved ones. So here's the thing we have to see, which is really sad, is that um, they love their power. They lust for power, and they will do anything to keep it. And it actually blinds them from seeing the work of God, the one whom they claim to serve. I wonder how many of us are filled with jealousy right now and are blind to the work of God right in front of us. Notice verse 17. It says they're filled with jealousy. You know that term jealousy means this red hot. The Sanhedrin are burning and seething at what is happening. Red hot, seething. And they, what do they do again? Go to the text. They arrest not just Peter and John now. They arrest all the apostles. They're like, we got to take care of business here. We're not going just after... These two guys, we're going after the whole bunch. They arrest all of them, and they throw them into prison again. Then you see in verse 19, that night in prison, what does God do? You think prison is a hindrance to the Lord? Eh, No. What does he do? He shows his power by sending an angel. That is his messenger, that word means, to go into prison. (laughs) Love this. Just think about this. Past all the guards, without them seeing, Locks, all the security measures. He goes right past the locks. He opens the door. He brings out the apostles, tells them not to run away. What does he do? He frees them and says, don't run away to save your own life. Go back into the temple. Do you see that? Go back to the temple, the most public place in all of Jerusalem, and just do what you were doing before. That's why I'm rescuing you. 
Not so you can save your own skin, but so that others may live. And so here, here's the temple. You'll see a picture of it here. Here's where he tells them to go. He says, go back. Most public place right there, center of town. It's not exactly, it's not exactly the witness protection program you'd expect. But this is the divine witness protection program. They're not going to be touched unless God says it. And same with you and I today. I love that. And he says, go keep preaching the gospel. Verse 20, that's what the words of this life mean. The words of salvation, the words of eternal life. And notice verse 21, what they do. They're not like, well, should we go back in and just go back to doing the same thing we were arrested for and all this at daybreak? Look at that. The first opportunity, the apostles did so in obedience with courage and boldness in the Lord's power. That's awesome. Who is like our God? Amen? So live in the text. You think if you were in that prison, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You think if you were in that prison and it's really dark and you see the guards out there and you heard the lock go click and you're like, would you be tempted to say, well, this is too much for God? You might not say it with your lips, but are you believing it in your heart? I mean, how many times are we saying that when we have an opportunity to witness and we back down in fear saying that's too much for God? You think you'd be tempted with a little bit of anxiety there? A little bit of fear, a little bit of doubt. Let me encourage you with this from God's word, loved ones. You'll see it on the screen. No matter the odds, God will give all that's needed to do all that he commands. doesn't matter the odds. No matter the odds, students, you may be worried about going back into your high school or your elementary school on Monday. Let me tell you something. No matter the odds, God will give all that's needed to do all that he commands for you to be a faithful witness to those around you. You are not alone. The apostles were sitting in that prison, but they weren't alone. The Lord gave what was needed. See, his power is, he loved to be encouraged with this. God's power is greater than your fear. Awesome. God's power is greater than your fear. God's power is greater than your inabilities and mine. God's power is greater than your lack of experience at witnessing. God's power is greater than the person that he's put in front of you to witness to. Don't make your classmates bigger than God, students. They don't even come close. Don't make your coworkers bigger than God. God's power is greater than the opposition or the situation that's in front of you. God's power is greater than the trial that you face. Can I get an amen on that? And Hope Ottawa, we have seen this truth played out over these last seven years, seven years of core group, six years since launch, time and time again. God's power given through his wisdom, through the clarity he gives about decisions, through the provisions he gave, through the grace and the strength that he gives to be his witnesses and to proclaim his word on our lips and in our lives. And I was reminded of this so often Our prayer has been all along since day one, the prayer of Jehoshaphat from 2 Chronicles 20 verse 12, where it says, we don't know what we're doing, but our eyes are on you, Lord. And he's always given what was needed because you can't stop him, no matter the odds. Going through a pandemic, he'll give the wisdom that's needed from his power. He'll do that. He'll give the clarity. It'll be a long road, but he'll give it. Will we trust him? See, the enemy's best efforts are no match for God. 
And so today, here's the beautiful truth from this. Today, we've been given someone much greater than an angel to help us. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given God Almighty himself, the third person of the Trinity, living in us. And here's what we have to remember from this. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. Take it into your workplace on Monday. The power that is in you, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, the power that is in you is greater than the opposition in front of you. I'll say it again. The power that is in you, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, is greater than the opposition that is in front of you. 10 times out of 10. Do not fear, loved ones. Witness with confidence. God cannot be stopped. He's got it. So witness with confidence in his power. He'll give it. Where are you doubting that? Where are you doubting that? Confess it. Repent of it. Trust him. Follow him. And with this, we must witness with confidence in his authority. Here's lesson two. His authority, knowing that he's over it. He's over that situation. God, remember this, loved ones, God is the final authority. Will you trust and obey him or man? God is the final authority. Will you trust and obey him or man? Keep reading, verse 21, the back half. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison. <laughs> Look at this. God's, don't forget, God sent an angel and brought the guys out. We found the prison securely locked. The guards were standing at the door still. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. That's awesome. Who can stop the Lord, huh? Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them and said, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They're right back where we got them the first time. See, so notice what happens in this section. The Sanhedrin are assembled for counsel, and they call for the apostles to be brought before them. Now, reminder, the Sanhedrin, you'll see it on the screen. So there's what it looks like in the Jewish Supreme Court. You've got 71 Sanhedrin members, and then those who were on trial would stand right in the middle. A little intimidating, don't you think? And these guys were the smartest of the smart in Israel, and they're coming at you. But there's a problem the Sanhedrin runs into here. You saw it in the text. The officers go to get the apostles, and they're not even there. Though the guards are still standing there, and we see in verse 23, the cell door is locked. Notice the detail the Holy Spirit inspires Luke to give here. Securely. That means there's no doubt it's locked, that Greek term means. There's no doubt it's locked. And you see the result in 24 to 26. The temple police and the leaders, they're greatly perplexed. It means we're at a loss. We can't explain this. This is like, we just have no explanation. And then someone, and then someone said, look, they're in the temple teaching right in front of you. That's amazing. There they are again. We're just right here. Talk about confidence in the Lord and his authority. Amen. 
It's right back there. Verse 26, keep reading, watch this. This is so good, love this. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stolen by the people. You see what God's doing? He's giving favor to the apostles now. As they're witnessing, the people are loving, they're listening. Remember, they're turning from the Sanhedrin. They're turning to Jesus Christ. And so the Sanhedrin's like, man, we're, we better not use force because the people are gonna stone us and we love the glory from them. So he's just like, hey guys, why don't you just make this easy? Why don't you just come with us? Just come on. Just come on. I love it. And notice the apostles went because they knew what authority they were really under. They didn't have to be like, I'm staying here and then rally the crowd to throw stones. No. He's like, I, we can trust the Lord. Are you trusting the Lord today? Oh, that's challenging, eh? No defensiveness here. I'm going to humble myself under the authority of the Lord. I'm not going to pursue my own ease and my preferences. I'm going to follow him because he's got all authority and I don't. Wow. Wow. So you see how they respond. Go to 27 and 28. Keep reading. It's so good. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, Hey, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name. That's in Jesus' name. That means we've strictly charged you not to preach about the person and work of Jesus Christ, the gospel. We've commanded you that. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? See, the setting moves now from the temple courtyard to the courtroom. And they bring the apostles in, and the high priest says, we charged you not to preach in his name, yet you're filling Jerusalem with teaching and, cla and claiming this. How arrogant are you? You're claiming that we're responsible for Jesus' death? He's like, you're bringing his blood upon us? Blaming us for Jesus' death? No wonder people don't want to follow us. You're blaming us. It's not looking good with the people. Now, we should hear that and just do one of these. Huh? Like, what? what? Um, well, yeah, his blood's upon you because you crucified him. Re recall this. Fill in some details here. Recall this. At Jesus' trial before Pilate, you'll see it in Matthew 27. These are the same leaders that said, and all the people answered, his blood will be on us and our children. Crucify him. We'll take the blame for it. And now he's like, now you're blaming us? Loved ones, can I just say, sin just makes us really foolish. What foolishness. What deception. I sinned and now I'm going to blame you. Why would I be blamed for it? Don't we like to do that in our sin? Instead of humbling ourselves before the Lord? It's like I'm going to blame someone else for it. Who are you blaming for your sin right now? That's a humbling word. And now you're blaming us. Mm. Kit, look at Peter's response. 29 to 32. This is... Stunning and amazing by the grace of God. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 
God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. See, Peter says again that as followers of Jesus Christ, just like he did in Acts 4, they are commanded to obey God over man, so they will continue to preach the gospel. Now, loved ones, let's be very clear. Again, just as we were from Acts 4.19, Christians are commanded by God to submit to human authorities. Just look at Romans 13, look at 1 Peter, look at Timothy, you'll see it. But when government decrees are clearly against God's word and what he commands, like it's happening right here, you cannot preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and thereby you cannot preach the full counsel of God. God must be obeyed over man. And here's the thing we have to be careful of, the distortion we so easily make. I said it before, I'll say it again. This doesn't mean we twist God's word to say what we want it to say and give it our interpretation. It's what God's word actually says. It's, we're not called to twist God's word so our preferences and conveniences can be upheld that we enjoy. It's what God's word actually says. Be careful, loved ones. That's a popular thing to do today and then you see in verses 30 to 32 Peter sees the opportunity would you see the opportunity right here you're in front of the Sanhedrin hey loved ones can we put the Sanhedrin picture back up Jesse please here we are we're in the front of the Sanhedrin we're getting blasted we're getting blamed and then Peter (laughs) he sees the opportunity and he preaches a gospel sermon right in front of the highest court of the land And he declares it with conviction that the Jewish leaders are guilty of killing Jesus. He indicts them again as they declared, the leaders declared he was cursed by God. It's from Deuteronomy 21 and had him crucified on a tree. That is the cross. And yet God raised Jesus, Peter says, from the dead three days later after his death and he exalted him. You see in verse 31, exalted means he was raised up to the place of highest honor. Where is that? At the right hand of God in the throne room of heaven with God the Father. And now, talk about authority. Jesus, keep reading the text, he is the leader. We often don't declare that. Jesus is the leader. What does that mean? It means he's the prince. It means he is the pioneer of our faith, Hebrews 12. The author, the perfecter, who's gone before us in living a life of perfect obedience to God against all opposition and never sinning. He is the only savior sent by God. Notice the exclusive term God u- or Peter uses for savior here. He is the leader and savior. He didn't say he's the leader and one of many saviors. He's the leader and one of many names you can get to God and have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. He said he's the leader and the savior. Exclusive, yes, amen little one. That's what I'm talking about. He's the leader and the savior who is sovereign. Notice, he's the one who gives repentance and forgiveness of sins that will save us from the penalty of sin. Ultimately, the greatest penalty of sin, death and separation from God for eternity in hell. 
And loved ones, this is the truth, the gospel truth that this church was founded on in Jesus Christ. And we are committed to preaching every single day. Praise the Lord. In verse 32, keep reading, eyes in the book. Peter says, of this we are witnesses. That means Peter says, we've seen and we believe this truth and now we declare it to you as does the Holy Spirit. God Almighty living in us if we are saved who has been given to us and all who believe to declare this. So look at this, live in the text. Live in the text right here. Even against all odds, against the highest court in the land, with their lives on the line, as one commentator put it, watch this, this is just, just brought me so much conviction this week. The apostles' main concern in this moment, did you catch it? The apostles' main concern was not to defend themselves. It was not to defend themselves to get out of the situation, but to uplift Christ in the situation. You see it? Peter doesn't go on the defensive. He goes on the gospel offensive. His main concern, the apostles' main concern was not to defend themselves against the attacks. It was to see it for the gospel opportunity that it was and to uplift Christ right in it. That's awesome. And that's what happens when we remember that Jesus has all authority and can't be stopped. All these 71 judges right here ultimately bow the knee to Jesus. And they don't decide anything unless he allows it. Boom. Lord, give us that thing. They believed what they proclaimed, that Jesus has all authority he has all sovereignty. He has the final say. And instead of cowering right here in this picture, instead of cowering before the authority of man, they were emboldened by the Holy Spirit under the authority of God. Yes, Lord. May it increasingly be so. Knowing their future was secure. That God can't be stopped and would work in that situation for their greatest good and his greatest glory. Okay, challenge time. Ready? God is the final authority. Will you trust and obey him or man? Followers of Jesus Christ in this room right now, whose authority will you submit to when God gives the opportunity to witness? You submit to the authority of man and then back down, just kind of, mm, don't want to touch that. Or will you submit to the authority of God who has it over that situation, over that life? Will you make man big and God small? Where are you doing that right now? Is man big and God small? Think of that situation that's hardest for you, where instead of wanting to uplift Christ, you just want to get out of it. Loved ones, eyes up here. Be confident in the Lord. Be confident in the one who has all authority over that moment right there, over that life right there, and over your own. Be confident. Jesus has all authority and sovereignty over that situation. And if you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your personal Savior, I hope you see the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit from verse 31, where it says right here, that only Jesus can give forgiveness of sin and salvation. You can't earn it. 
You can't earn it, and no one else can give it. No other name of God, no other religion can give you salvation and eternal life and forgiveness of sin other than the name of Jesus. You see it right here on the screen, Acts 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. So if you're here and you've never made that confession of Jesus as your Lord, you've never repented of your sin, will you hear God's word to you today? and obey his command to repent and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior that you may be forgiven and be given eternal life. Bible's so clear, you're not here by accident. Today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart and today will be the day of your salvation. Is that you right now? See, God can't be stopped, so witness with confidence in his power that he will give it in that moment. Witness with confidence in his authority. He is over that situation, over that life. And because he has all authority, here it is, third lesson. We must witness with confidence in his plan, knowing that he'll do it. If he's got all authority, he's got a plan. He will do it. When God is in it, remember this, loved ones. When God is in it, you can't stop it. When God is in it, You can't stop it. So loved ones, will you and I trust him and witness? Go to 33 to 39. This is incredible. When they heard this, that is the Sanhedrin, they heard this gospel sermon, they were enraged. That's where pride will take you. Instead of humility, rage against the truth. And they wanted to kill them. So the lives are on the line. They want to kill all the apostles right now. But look at God's sovereign hand over them. Go, next verse. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. How many of us are just claiming to be somebody today? There's a lot of people in the world claiming to be somebody today, huh? Claiming their own name. There's only one name we're called to proclaim. Where was I? Yes. Claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Verse 37. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. But he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. That's leave them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. That's good word. You might even be found opposing God, the very one you claim to serve. So they took his advice. Good job, counsel. Good thinking. See, upon hearing Peter's response, the Jewish leaders are furious. And they're ready to kill them right there, all the apostles. And yet, did you see the sovereign hand of God over this whole thing? 
under God's sovereign hand, a Pharisee, a council member named Gamaliel, who just happened to be the most renowned and respected teacher of the day. Who also was the teacher of the Apostle Paul, by the way. Yeah, look at the sovereign hand of God over this. Now, you notice what he's doing? Proverbs 21.1, be encouraged with this when you turn on the news. Proverbs 21.1 says, The heart of a king is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord, and he turns it any way he wishes. You see it right here. Notice what God's doing. God turned the heart of one of the leaders who put Jesus to death. He turned his heart to save the apostle's life so the gospel would continue to go forward. Who's like our God? He's like, don't kill him. Just let him keep preaching. They put Jesus to death for doing just that. He's like, nope. Sovereignty. Rest in it. Believe in him. And so he stands up, and Gamaliel gives a small history lesson of a few failed uprisings from two men, Thutis. Uh, verse 36, outside of this verse, you ever heard of Thutis? Anyone hands up if you heard of Thutis? Yeah, okay. Uh, me neither. Do you know why? Right here. We don't know much about him, but he claimed to be somebody. Look at me. Follow me. Too many of that going on today. He had 400 followers. They're like, we're all in, Thutis. He led a revolt in 4 BC, apparently, according to Jewish historians. But notice what happened as a result of that, because God's not in it. It died, came to nothing. And then he uses another guy in verse 37, Judas. This isn't Judas Iscariot. This is a guy named Judas who started a revolt, according to Jewish historians, in Galilee, 6 to 7 BC, the time when they think Jesus was born. He got some followers, but he died, and so did his movement. And notice the text. As his followers were scattered, they both came to nothing. In today's terms, we'd say they were a flash in the pan. Up, down, like a firecracker. And as such, Gamaliel says that if this plan, this plan of preaching in the name of Jesus, this plan of the church is just made up by these men in the apostles. If it's just made up by the apostles' so-called wisdom in their efforts, in their thinking, in their strategizing, in their strength, their agenda, their plan, guess what will happen? It'll fail. Flash in a pan. But he says, if it is of God, he says, you can do all you want to oppose that but it cannot be stopped and you will be found even opposing God himself. The very one that you're proclaiming his name. Here's the lesson we need to see here. When you oppose God's church, you're opposing God himself. When you're opposing it in our gossip and in our slander, you are opposing God himself. When you are grumbling and complaining because things aren't the way you think you want them, you are opposing God himself. Be careful. Reverence, loved ones. Trusting in his sovereignty, in his authority, that he knows what he's doing. And so what does the council do rightly? They take his advice. Now God turns the hearts of 70 other Sanhedrin. 
That's amazing. See, be encouraged. People, governments, entire nations, even Satan himself and all his minions have been trying to stop the church for millennia. And all have failed and will continue to do so. They can threaten. They can kill. They can burn. They can pass laws against it. But all of those plans of man here at church, they will fail. We saw even this week the tragic events happening to our brothers and sisters in the United States. They will fail. Jesus will build his church and he will turn the hearts that he is going to turn to save, to sanctify, and to glorify his name. You cannot stop him. And we grieve with our brothers and sisters. It is right. Pray for them. Pray for our brothers and sisters, not just in Nashville, but around the world and here at home who are suffering for the name. Jesus, the church, is the plan of God. Did you know the church is God's plan A in all of its imperfections? God doesn't have a plan B. The church is God's plan A. It always has been. He loves his bride and is passionate for her purity and holiness. That's why you can't say you love Jesus but not the church. It doesn't work. It's his body. It's his plan A, and it will not be stopped. Let me break it down to today. Hope Ottawa is the plan of God. He established it and will continue to do so as we humble ourselves before him and seek his face. He has and will continue to take our little loaves and fish and all our weakness and imperfection and build his church for his glory. And this got me thinking, maybe for a little little history lesson. So back in 2016, this was one of our first vision nights. This little room in the basement of a downtown hotel. Didn't know if anyone would show up. Didn't know anybody. You got about 30 people there. That was 2016 in November. I think JD's in that picture. There you go. And you, you know, you want to see? You want to see the little loaves and fish? You want to see our first? I love our welcome ministry team. It's so good. Do you want to see who started the welcome ministry? Yeah, right here. You'll see it right there. Go. Welcome ministry. <laughs> welcome. And look, we had a different name even. Harvest Bible Chapel. Welcome. There's the ministry. And now we see God's hand with three teams full of people serving for his glory. We had a sign, so we used the sign, and God blessed it. Next, Hope Kids walk down there today, see this army of Hope Kids, teachers, and hearing all the voices, so precious. This was our first Hope Kids setup. I'm pretty sure that's a hazard. 
Like those are two collapsible tables. I mean, some of the legs on the left side of your, on the right side of your picture there, like they're wobbling already. And so I remember being there and the kids, they couldn't touch him. We had like, I don't know, 20 whatever kids it was. And this was our worship. And we had what's in the Bible. And that's what we did for Hope Kids for the first year. Just right there. Little, that's what we had. That's what God gave. So that's what we used. Here's another picture. Hey, talk about the sweet setup. Yeah, two boxes on a table. And what you don't see is we didn't even have a screen. And so we had to use placemats on the wall of the school. Had to put them up. Didn't win any kudos with the school that weekend. But there's what it was. That's what we had, so that's what we used. And God did what only he could do. Because he's got a plan. And he'll do it. This was our first prayer night in 2016. 30 people in a room. Just 30 people in a room crying out to God to do what only he could do. Just committing yourselves to the things that matter most. Because God has a plan. And we sure didn't picture this. Here's our first Christmas Eve service in 2016. Look at that little setup right there, huh? That screen. We, we never could figure out how to get that screen straight. It just like kind of tilted. Little, just little loaves and fish. We had about, I don't know, what, 30 people? It was our core group. We hadn't even launched yet. Banners are all different. Like, to the school. Just tiny and simple. But that's what God gave. And that's what he used. Because he's got a plan. So trust him. Even if you don't see the bells and the whistles. That's not all he's doing. Why don't you look around today? When all those kids, when that army of kids races up those stairs in a few minutes and runs for the cookie table, <laughs> I want you to look at what God's doing. There are between 40 and 50 different nations in this church now. But that's not all he's doing. Roll the video, loved ones. Check it out. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. By God's grace, I grew up in a Christian home, and I professed Jesus as Lord when I was eight years old. However, I didn't understand salvation yet. I never had a true relationship with Christ. I was feeling lost, seeking acceptance from the world, at, that, at the same time, I pretend to live my life for Jesus and put a smile on my face like a nice Christian by following my parents in church. I was living a double life. I came to know who Jesus is at a very young age, at seven years old. But I never had a true relationship with Jesus for a long time. I knew him, but still cared more about the things of the world. I sought status so much, I let others influence me to sin like gossip, pride, and bad behavior overall. Before I knew Christ as my Lord and Savior, I had my heart set on pleasing others. I was so easily influenced by my friends, and I continuously sought approval from the world, no matter the cost. My parents were already Christians, but I didn't have much of an understanding of what that meant. I started to ask some questions about God and about the Bible. I never knew where this interest came from until later when my mom told me that she'd been praying for me to know Jesus. Before I received Christ, I was filled with pride, and I thought I was the coolest, the fastest, the best at sports, the funniest at joke telling. I was competitive and prideful. I was fearful about many things. I was controlled by fear. 
I have self-pity and selfishness. I grew up in a Christian home and heard the word of God a lot because I was loved and supported. But I never really truly understood it all. I had other passions of this world. I had a lot of pride. I was empty. But all along, God was calling me to Him. My faith in Jesus grew through knowing Him, through verses like John 14, 6, which says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My mom helped me to confess that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. I received Christ because I learned that He loves me so much to the point He died for me, taking the punishment for my sin. He rose up from the dead to save me so that I have salvation and new life in Him. But God, being rich in love and mercy, saved me from all those sins and brought me to Him. One day, I decided to receive Christ in my life, repent of my sins, and confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I felt joy and peace that I had never experienced before. One day, my mom gave me her Bible to read. I started by reading the Gospels, and I was truly in shock. But I remember believing every word with all my heart. At some point, my parents explained to me that by having faith in Jesus and what He's done, and confessing Him as my Lord and Savior that I am saved. One day, when I was seven years old, I was crying on my bed. I was feeling angry. I did not want to go to school. Dad came into my room and explained the gospel to me that Christ died on the cross for my sin, and He rose again, and He is the Son of God. Jesus defeated my sin for eternity. I believed, and I was saved. I immediately felt lighter, lighter like a burden came off. When I was either eight or nine, I heard one of my brothers being kind and gentle with me and my brothers and pointing us to Christ. I wanted to be kind and point others to Christ too, just as my brother had done. I realized I wasn't a Christian, that I was guilty of my sin, and that I needed Christ to change me. I wanted Him as my Savior, and He was calling me to Him. So that night, I prayed with, in my room with my dad and mom and asked Jesus into my life. I am praying that people don't see me but Jesus in me by bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit as written in Galatians 5, 22-23. But the fruit of, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So now that I have Christ in my life, I live for Him, and I'm not perfect, but He is, and that's what keeps me going in His ways every day. I'm trying to focus more on God's kingdom and His righteousness as written in Matthew 6:33 which says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It has completely changed my perspective on life. But after knowing him and understanding what he's done for the world and for me, I want more than ever to treat other people the way that he did. In Matthew 22, uh, 37, Jesus gives a great commandment saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, followed by, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. His commandment to love is so beautiful and perfect, and so I have a growing desire to have a heart like His. Now I am overcoming fear with faith and surrendering to God instead of insisting of trying to be in control. He is teaching me that He is great, and I can trust Him. He sees me as perfect because Jesus took my sin and gave me His righteousness. Romans 10:13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I can never be good enough, and He saved me by taking my sin and giving me His purity before God. Now that I know Him, I am His child forever. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, 
in faith and in purity. God will not be stopped. Have you been baptized? If not, why do you wait? Sign up. Sign up today on our website. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. When God is in it, you can't stop it. Will you trust him and witness with confidence? In his power, he'll give it. In his authority, he's over it. In his plan, He'll do it. But loved ones, as we close today, I want you to remember this. We must remember that the work of God comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. So witness with confidence in our final lesson from this text in our suffering, knowing that he's working. Let's go back, verses 40 to 42. And when they had called in the apostles again, what do they do? They beat them. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted. This is a good theology of suffering right here. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. You see, after heeding Gamaliel's advice, the Sanhedrin bring the apostles back in and beat them as a consequence for preaching the gospel. Likely, likely, this was 39 lashes with a whip, which was permitted by the Old Testament law. And they charged them again to not speak or preach in the name of Jesus, the gospel, and they let them go. And then you see in verses 41 to 42, think about this, with bruised bodies, Likely their backs torn open. The apostles, they don't pout. They don't sit in self-pity. They don't complain about how hard it is to follow Jesus and do what he's asking. They don't run away in fear. What do they do? Look at the text. They rejoice. It means this. They are filled with delight with gladness. What? Would you do that if your back was ripped open for preaching the gospel? What? This makes no sense on a human level. How could they do this? Here's how. Because they'd been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And we, we complain so much about when God calls us to hard things, but it's the very hard things he uses us to show us that he's working in us. Now let's get some clarity. They rejoiced that they were living, notice this, worthy to suffer dishonor, they rejoiced that they were living in such a way that who they were and what they believed was clear to their opponents. It was clear that Jesus was alive in them that the Holy Spirit was at work in them. See, when they saw, when the opponents saw the apostles, do you know who they saw? Just like from Agape's testimony right there, they saw Jesus and they rejoiced. They're seeing him. 
There's evidence we're saved. They're seeing him. They were living how Jesus lived. They're not suffering because they made foolish, sinful decisions and now there's consequences. They're living how Jesus lived and they rejoice that they knew he was working in and through them. John 15, remember the word Jesus says that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, if they opposed me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. And look at the result in 42. They gave praise to God and they counted the cost to follow him. By, what are they counting the cost? Notice what they did? They didn't stop preaching. They didn't stop following him. Instead, they preached the gospel boldly, faithfully, confidently. Notice the end of 42. Literally every day in the temple right back to the place, near the place they'd just been whipped and beaten. They go right back. Every day in the temple and house to house. Matthew 16, 24, you'll see it on the screen. It says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, that means if you're going to follow me, Christian, let him deny himself. Take up your cross and follow me. Take it up. For whoever would save his life, I'm in it for my comfort. I'm in it for, I'll follow Jesus when it's easy and I have lots of energy and I haven't been serving for three weeks in a row. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's our reason to rejoice. They knew they had found life. A faithful witness will suffer for Christ. Question, will you rejoice when it happens that he's working in you? And will you count the cost to continue to exalt his name on your lips and in your life, in your homes, in our extended families? Easter's coming up, no doubt. Extended families on the way. Chuckle, chuckle. Yep, right there in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your classrooms, and on your sports teams. Here's a challenging question we finish with. Is it your greatest honor to be dishonored for the name of Jesus? Is it your greatest honor to be dishonored for the name of Christ? Are you living in such a way that you would be counted worthy, that I would be counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name, that people see Jesus in me? They see a difference. If we're honest, loved ones, most of us rejoice when we're counted not worthy and we can escape the suffering. We just blend in, step back in fear, compromise a bit so we're not counted worthy to suffer. And let's be clear. Loved ones, we don't look for suffering. We're not like, okay, where can I suffer the most? Nope. But we can rejoice when we suffer for Christ's sake, for his name, knowing that he who started the work in us is bringing it to completion from one degree of glory to the next, and that's what they see. And loved one, the truth we must remember as we move forward into the seasons ahead the Lord has for us, which are very exciting. You'll see it on the screen. You will never regret having suffered for the name of Jesus. Guaranteed. Guarantee it. You and I will never regret 
having suffered for the name of Jesus, you and I will never look into the face of Jesus and be disappointed, ever. Hope Ottawa, look around you. God cannot be stopped. So press on and witness with confidence in his power. He's gonna give it. In his authority, he's over it. And in his plan, he's gonna do it. And even in your suffering, knowing he's working and he's worth it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, what a challenge from your word tonight. What encouragement from your word tonight. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you uh, for your faithfulness. I thank you that from everlasting to everlasting, you alone are God. And you will do what you say you will do. And you will do it when you will say you will do it. And nothing can stop you. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. When you work back, when you work, there are none who can turn it back. And I thank you for raising up a precious, imperfect church that you are using from one generation to the next across ages and races and ethnicities. Lord, here in Ottawa and around the world, you are using to display your glory and to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we reflect, we say thank you. As we look ahead, we say thank you for what you will do. So, Lord, teach us from this word tonight how we need to apply this moving forward, Spirit. Change us from one degree of glory to the next, that we would be a church who counts it, who can even rejoice when we are counted worthy to suffer for the name above all names. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand and let's respond and worship with a big hallelujah.